Peace, power, and prosperity, family. This is Amir, the Chicago Crypto Hustler, Bitcoin Block Buddy, coming to you once again with the other round of crypto update. Um, how we doing, YouTube family? New Money Matrix podcast. How we doing out there? Um, what we're going to be going over is a term that I've been throwing around lately, and it's a new term, a new phenomenon, actually, that is emerging in the world of economics and financing, and it is called decentralized financing. When we look at the direction in which the world is moving right now, especially in the in the, the, the world of economics and finances with the emergence of cryptocurrency and blockchain, a lot of things are changing. Um, new, new financial instruments are being created. New laws are being created. Old laws are being rewritten and amended. So I think if for anyone that is concerned about the future of, you know, your children's financial uh, situation, your grandchildren's financial situation, I think should definitely be interested in this new paradigm that we're going into, which I like to call new money matrix. But we're going to uh, take a look and try to get sort of a, a bearing or an understanding of what this new form of um, monetary system, banking system, financial system is. Now, the story that I'm going to uh, come through with first is actually from 2014. We're not currently in 2019. So, you know, this story is about five years old. And they were speaking on decentralized trust finance back then, which, um, you know, is something fairly still new to some individuals. And the see that they were speaking about this five years ago lets you know sort of how behind we are, but sort of still how in... Um, the forefront we are to see this five years ago and then see stories that are, let me see, when is this story from? 2018. You know, it's only from a year ago. Not even a whole year ago, December 10th. And they're speaking on the rise of decentralized finance. Now, back in 2014, the story was new decentralized finance. You know what I mean? So it's, it's growing slowly but for surely. I like to call it organic growth, and that's what we're seeing so let's go ahead and get into the article. It goes on to say, we are living in times of deep economic, economic uncertainty. Eroded trust in official institutions and the sense that centralization of decision making is less capable of satisfying the wider needs of society is strong. This is 2014. Remember when I'm speaking about this and think about our current economic uh, situation. It shouldn't be a surprise, not just in the United States either, around the whole world, and how the, the financial systems right now are pretty much look like they're on the verge of crumbling and um, falling. Um, it shouldn't be a surprise that a wish to try to test alternatives would grow over time. I think that this is happening with cryptocurrencies. Cryptocurrencies be, may, very, may well be a successful structure of decentralization of trust or decentralized trust. Trust has been undeniably a cornerstone of economic finance systems throughout history. But if we look with impartial analytic eye, we can see also that the discovery of trust in economic systems follow clear uh, cyclical patterns, uh, meaning they come in cycles, um, largely responsible for business cycle economic theories. The blockchain technology supporting Bitcoin is such decentralized ledger, storing, and registering the transactions in the digital currency in ways and, and anonymously. Satoshi Nakamoto, in the paper that launched Bitcoin, explicitly stated, explicitly stated once again, that the currency we beat would be a distributed, decentralized trust. 
value creating way of using the internet. Around the world, the number of people who lost its access to banking and financial services has risen since the 2008 financial crash, excuse me, crisis. And obviously, a reaction would inevitably follow. For the potential for entrepreneurship and businesses to grow remain the same. Um, developments like cryptocurrencies are just helping to fill the void of financing small and medium businesses. That appears to be a good way to bypass the old fear and aversion to risk that follow after a major event as that of 2008. But what are we talking about when we say decentralized trust? The network of decentralized trust typically in centralized financial systems, right? A hierarchical outer authority mediates the trust, meaning somebody is over the system, which we would call trust. But you don't know if you can trust the individuals that's over the trust. Um, these systems discourage the establishment of two agents' peer-to-peer -peer relations of trust. Cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology fundamentally allows for a peer-to-peer -peer network of agents to emerge and establish the foundation for decentralized trust-based economic and financial systems. With a smartphone or a laptop, with a smartphone or a laptop, anyone can start their own monetary, excuse me, money system or personalized banking. Remember this five years ago. Of course, what we do is abide by an algorithmic consensus replacing this by the need for trust. In return, we help create a society based on trust in ourselves and our fellows. Silicon Valley tech entrepreneur Andre Andreas Antonopoulos describes best Bitcoin security model, trust by computation. Trust does not depend on excluding bad actors as they cannot fake trust. They cannot pretend to be a trusted party as there is none. They cannot steal the central keys as there is none. They cannot pull the levels of control at the core of the system as there is no core and no levels of control. Money and credit for the underbanked? In the called developed countries, Bitcoin is still viewed as a sideline phenomenon. No, not, no surprising given that many rely on their official network of secure financing. But in underdeveloped and emerging countries, the story is very different. Bitcoin is becoming a financing alternative and quick way to access monetary liberation. These are people underbanked or even completely excluded from the banking system of their countries as the officials of these countries implement austerity measures in response to the economic uh, crisis. And real quick, momentarily, I want to uh, use this word correctly in a sentence. So austerity, sternness or severe manner or attitude. Extreme plainness and simplicity of style or appearance and conditions characterized by severity sternness and asceticism so basically they're saying that officials of these countries implement severe measures in response to the economic uh, crisis and that's why i like to go over words that may be unfamiliar to myself or the listener or viewer that way we got a comp because if you don't know a word within a sentence you may misinterpret the sentence the sentence all in all but anyways moving right along even in european countries part of the eurozone like cyprus where the financial crisis in 2012 unleashed a major run on banks, many saw Bitcoin a possible haven where uh, to protect their savings. And for those that don't know Cyprus, um, you need to uh, definitely research what happened in Cyprus in 2012, just to get a better uh, bearing. I may do, I may do a, I may, I may do a, a video following certain financial crashes throughout the world. I don't know. A similar pattern emerged in Argentina. The local currency, the peso, has seen steep depreciation since 2002. And many resorted to Bitcoin as a safe harbor where to anchor hard-won thrift money, and the trend isn't stopping yet. 
While the developments described above are all happening with increased speed, and remember this is five years ago, the reality in many places is not that bright. We need to acknowledge that access to the internet is still a rich country phenomenon. Um, the key to digital future for financial services and cryptocurrencies will largely depend on the internet becoming available to more and more people in developing countries. For instance, the payment network PayPal are still blocked in many developing countries. A lot of workers from these countries use remittances to send money to their families. Bitcoin, in conjunction with PayPal or other operators, could well replace remittance companies that usually charge high fees for the service. Digital currencies are cheaper and faster. And I'm definitely going to have to do a full build on what remittance is and how it is utilized um, throughout the world. Definitely an interesting um, subject when we get to how they are monetizing individuals connecting with family members across the uh, globe. The potential for Bitcoin to disrupt the payments environments is indisputable. Recently in the CCN Post, in a recent video released by software engineer James Poole, the demonstration of micropayment channels shows how Bitcoin is used for transactions in amounts as small as a fraction of a penny. In fact, micropayment channels can make microtransactions denominated in Satoshis much more practical in the real world. With a micropayments channel, a Bitcoin user can set up a trustless environment with a server that allows them to send multiple payments without broadcasting each transaction on the blockchain uh, on the Bitcoin, net, Bitcoin network. Excuse me. The current methods for handling nano transactions, transactions at a fraction of a second, are all centralized. Micropayments channels solve this by creating a decentralized trust environment, where the client and server create a multi-sig agreement in place of giving the central server complete control over the user's account balance and transaction details. So they're asking, is it centralized decision-making capable of satisfying the wider needs of society? What do you think? Or is decentralized the route to go? Now, moving to a more up-to-date story, we have coming out of Trust Knows, the rise of decentralized finance. It goes on to say, the older generation of bankers would probably be completely unable to even imagine how the new system would operate and therefore be practically unanimous in rejecting it. But this foreseeable, and basically what they're saying is that, number one, decentralized financing is going to knock out the need for quote-unquote bankers or centralized bankers. I don't have to go to you as a teller, a banker, whatever the case may be, if I can handle my own affairs in a private and sovereign capacity. Um, so they're saying that they would, if, if, if it came down to a vote of where we're going to go to decentralized financing and banking versus centralized financing and banking, they're definitely going to be like, nah, hell no, nah. let's, let's keep everything how it is, you know, everything's working smoothly and finely. I beg to differ. Um, the story goes on to say, this foreseeable opposition of the established practitioners ought not to deter us, or, you know, de deter us from, um, from going the decentralized or private route. I am also convinced that if a new generation of young bankers were given the opportunities, they would rapidly develop techniques to make the new forms of banking not only safe and profitable, but also much more beneficial to the whole community than the existing ones. So said Frederick Hayek after studying money all his life to then tell his generation in no unclear terms in the decentralization of money. If we want free enterprise and a market economy to survive, as even the supporters of so-called mixed economy presumably also wish, we have no choice but to replace the governmental currency monopoly and national currency systems by free competition. If we were able to build the financial system from scratch, Bill Gates said in 2016, we would build it on a digital platform. We do not have the luxury of starting from scratch, he said, but we have to manage this transaction to digital finance. And he's talking about, 
I'm glad he said that. I've been saying this for a while now. There is a great, a great migration and transition of wealth going from analog to digital right now. Many of us may not see it, but it's something that we have to open our eyes and comprehend. That passing on along wealth from one hand to another, one generation to another, is not being done through the use of centralized uh, formats, Federal Reserve notes in any way, shape, or form because you're just passing along debt. And it's being done on a truly trustless system. Um, let me see. What do we leave off? What can you do with Bitcoin? They used to ask and still ask. HODL, of course, which is holding on for dear life, an acronym. Um, maybe buy something or speculate or exchange it for Ethereum. And what can you do with Ethereum? Well, there is something interesting on Ether, Ethereum said. Presumably, the value of Ether would go up if the purchasing power of USD goes down. Mm. So the value of my collateral goes up and I can get more day for my CDP to account for that change. And day is the stable currency that is created um, on the Ethereum. Um, how do I say? It's created within the MakerDAO protocol, but it's on the Ethereum blockchain. And a CDP is a collateralized debt position, whereas you hold Ethereum as collateral, and then you're able to pull interest or principal or um, extract a loan from that or pull a loan from it. Um, that presumably in some sort of lab. OK, that's presumably in some sort of lab setting because Ethereum doesn't easily correlate with any other asset, including the dollar, as it has its own factors that affects its value without a fundamental level of, or more speculative uh, speculative speculative. Ah. Speculatively, however, that dy dynamic between tokenized dollars and the collateralized Ethereum that create them appears to be quite interesting if we limit ourselves just to the question of dollar inflation. When you create DAI, listen, you're basically locking the current dollar price at Ethereum at the cost of 33% of your locked asset being non-utilizable. If the price moves against you, then the contract sells the Ethereum to cover the DAI dollars unless you have paid back the DAI or you send more Ethereum to the now account for the lower dollar ETH value. If the price goes up, then you can get more DAI or unlock some of your Ethereum. Since Ethereum has been practically turned into dollars while not converted into actual dollars, then this presumably can be used as a hedge of sorts in both directions. Pay attention now. This is interesting. If the dollar gets stronger, let's say from $1,000 per Ethereum to $100, you've locked your dollars at $1,000 at by collateralizing, say, $1,500 worth of Ethereum. Now, Ethereum's price falls. As long as it is, does so by more than 33%, you're in profit. But a special kind of profit. Ethereum has fallen a lot more than 33%. Your 1.5 Ethereum turned into 1,000 DAI is now worth 10 Ethereum. Obviously, had you plainly sold the 1.5 Ethereum, would have given you $1,500, but they're now worth 15 ETH. So, you lost 5 Ethereum, but realistically... That's only if you had a crystal ball and you knew what was going to happen. Ethereum could have doubled and it could have even gone up 10x. It has done so before. Had you plainly sold and that 1.5 ETH became, say, 15,000, you would have lost quite a bit of money. So making it a special, uh, hold on. So making it a special kind of profit because while technically if price goes down, you would have lost 33% more than you had plainly sold. You would be quite a bit in profit than had you plainly held ETH and you exposed yourself to the upside of a potential price increase. 
I'm gonna break down what this because I know this is probably losing a couple of individuals. So I'm gonna break down exactly what this. If they don't get to it later on in the article, I'll break down what how, what they're uh, saying in layman's terms. Um, you think that the only way you can really lose in a sea of unpredictability is if the price goes down by precisely 33%. In that instance, your $1,500 worth of Ethereum has become 1,000. The price of ETH has become 670, and you've lost $500 of your Ethereum value. Not Ethereum. Remember, there's a difference. As you've borrowed $1,000 and as you need 1.5 ETH collateral, we now get into a bit of complex maths, which we're not very good at, but let's see if we can manage. Okay, so it seems like they're going to get into it and break it down. Let's say 33% of your ETH is sold, 0.5 at a price of $670. That gives us $335 a day, which is paid back, turning our borrowed $1,000 into $665. That would have been if you had put in 2 Ethereum, leaving you at 1.5. But... We started with 1.5, and now that we're left with, with 1, which is worth only 670, basically your entire 1.5 ETH has been sold, has to be sold, excuse me. That can be fine if the price then goes down further, presuming your intention is to increase the amount of Ethereum you have as you would have lost $500, but you can now buy 2.5 Ethereum if to say the price goes down to $400. And they're talking about doubling down, and remember... If you are able to stabilize your dollar amount as the price of an asset retraces or loses value, you're able to use that stable dollar amount then to grab more of the asset than you had previously. So, obviously, if you had sold your ETH when they were locked in this scenario, you would have been able to buy slightly more than 3.5 Ethereum. So, you did in the absolute sense lose some money. But had you held that 1.5, then you'd still have 1.5. Hence that hedge. You won Ethereum, and you lost on paper ETH. Does this make sense? Well, we're taking sort of, uh, we're taking sort of out of a napkin. Uh, we're talking sort of out of a napkin, excuse me. In due course, there will probably be studies and models with complex formulas and so on with plenty of smart men and women probably doing that right now. Not for studies, but for their own financial management. Almost as, damn near what I'm doing. Now, obviously, there are some scenarios where you lose, your, lose an Ethereum as well because price can increase before you buy and so on. Making day not quite a sure thing. Instead, fairly risky if one doesn't quite know what they're doing. That's why I say comprehension level is key. And if you don't do all the maths and so on. However, let us now suppose that this 1000 die we borrowed, we are now lending perhaps on compound. Once it gets up and running after the recent bug and it proves itself on some other financial dApps that are now rising. So we've tempted to suggest 20%, right? But let us be nice and lend this at 10%. After a year, we've made only $100. So it's not much of a dent towards neutralizing this $500 potential loss, which is now $400. So what if we do something stupid? What if we go to a new dApp we haven't yet reviewed? We will still, we will in due course and enter um, a 1x margin short of 1.5 Ethereum. Half long, half short, as traders call it. Price goes down to 670. We make 330 on the short. We lost 500 on the collateralized long, but this 400 has now become just 70. The problem with the short is what if the price goes up? We're canceling the long, but would that matter? Maybe. Let's say for simplicity, price goes up to $10,000. We now have $15,000 in Ethereum, $1,000 in day, and we lost $14,000 in the short. 
we started with 1.5 ETH, which is now worth 1,500. We're now in the plus by 2,000, so we made 500 after all the effort. And I know this is, I know for a fact, I know for a fact this is losing some individuals. I'm going to have to do a, a, a hands-on uh, explanation of what they're speaking on. Um, meaning you can tell how a great financial uh, financer trust knows is, but twice knows is, but look at it from another perspective, this is a 30% gain. Had we started with 1.5 million, for example, we would have made about 500k at the risk of losing 70,000. Except that obviously that thousand dollars a day has to be returned at some point. So we kind of lost that 500, whether up or down. Hence the half long, half short mean. But this somewhat absurd example illustrates the fairly complex calculations that can now be made through natively digital financing apps, which are currently holding about 1.5 million dollars worth of Ethereum, which is. When this was released, I think they're now holding about 250 million worth of Ethereum, if I'm not mistaken. You might hedge your risk. In fact, hold on. Before we head on, let's get a simple explanation of what hedge means. Because a lot of these words that get thrown around, I want people to actually understand what the words are. So hedge is a fence or boundary formed by closely growing. Okay, no, no, no. Um, in finances, let me see. Here we go. Investopedia. Okay. Hedging against investment risk means strategically using instruments in the market to offset the risk of an adverse price movement. In other words, investors hedge one investment by making another. Technically, to hedge, you would invest in two securities with negative correlations. So, as an example, when the economic markets are going down, say stocks, commodities, I ain't going to use commodities, but we'll say the Dow and the S&P is, is going down, Bitcoin is going down. Investors will hedge, will use gold as a hedge against these failing markets if gold is rising. You see what I mean? So we're losing over here, but we made an investment over here that we're winning at. So it's sort of making up for the losses that we're uh, losing over here. If that makes sense. Anyways, you might hedge your risk by 1x margin shortened with just 1 ETH, for example, or 0.5. That means your gains would be lower, but then so, so would the risk. With the point of it all in a way being that you would buy, say, $1,500 worth of Ethereum, you don't just want to sit on it. You can do stuff with $1,000 or $750 worth of it, while obviously taking into account the risk and potential gains. In a way, all these instruments are nothing new. Margins and options and borrowing money on collateral have been around for quite some time. The difference being that it's so open finance, easily accessible, highly efficient with just one click, pretty much instant and fully transparent. It is basically opening up Wall Street to the ordinary man and woman, and I've said this many a time, it's even in that playing field, or more correctly, to the smart guy and gal who is sufficiently intelligent but can't be bothered with the arcane paper processes of the old financial system, which is what we're moving out of, analog or digital, I've said this once once too many times it doesn't look like much you know why bother with the telephone when you can just send a fax but it just gets better it's just it, it's just better excuse me and it's available to an Ugandan smart man or woman to a Chinese math whiz to an American student of finance to everyone with the internet and a means of getting ethereum really and I'm not even going to put it so much on these terms that they're using these labels of being a smart woman or a math whiz it ain't got nothing to do with that it just ha has to do with you having a comprehension level and taking the time out to understand overstand and understand how the system works that's it that's all you do not have don't don't get caught up in these all oh, you got to be a math whiz to get this no you don't um not, not quite earth shattering 
The slow replacement of intermediaries, the one small, the one click efficiencies of the digital age, the opening of Wall Street guilds, the availability of sophisticated tools to the ordinary smart ones. Yet we might look back one day and see the arcane paper world full of exploitation and abuse of trust and perhaps wonder just how on earth one could go back to that for candles uh for candles did their job perfectly well ah for candles did their job perfectly well yet bulbs do it better nothing earth shattering just nicer right actually it was great <laughs> in actuality we're still going on demanding more satisfied never but it is difficult to see how this new digitally native financial world is not for the future. Hmm. They're saying this is inevitable, in their opinion, and in my opinion. And the fact that it's up and running and working now just more so solidifies it. So, like I said, we were just speaking on the advancement of decentralized financing. Um, let me see. Um, this is pretty much they're going through. I may, I may do a separate video going over the decentralized loans on the Ethereum blockchain, which is pretty much what they just spoke on. I believe that they're going to get more in-depth on this one, but I, I may save this for another read. I may save this for another build that I'm going to do on decentralized finance because I'm going to start a series where we go over decentralized finance. But just as a as a introductory, um, in fact, what I should have started this out with, with was what does financing mean? You know what I mean? So let's see. So finance is providing funding for a person or an enterprise. That's it. It's the uh, field that is concerned with the allocation of assets and liabilities over space and time, often under conditions of risk or uncertainty. Finance can also be defined as the art of money management. So once again, it's providing funding, decentralized finance, and you are providing funding, especially if you get into decentralized banking and self-loans. You're providing the funding for you to do a lot more with your assets by collateralizing them. And that's what we're going to be focusing on and moving forward into this future, this New Money Matrix with. So I hope that this video as well as this um, recording for the New Money Matrix podcast was helpful to individuals. Um, like I say, stay tuned. I'm going to be diving deep into this subject as, I've, as I'm, I'm head, head first into space anyways. You know what I mean? But definitely something that not only us not 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 only do we need to have a full comprehension level of the way these systems are changing we need to pass this information down to our reflections down to our seeds down to our younger generation and that more so is what i'm trying to uh help by helping those from the older generation from my generation to co comprehend so that we can pass this information down so until the next video until the next podcast this is amir the chicago crypto hustler bitcoin block bully Peace, power, and prosperity, family. I am out of here.